Well, good. Well, let's open your Bibles, if you would, to Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. If you need a Bible, we've got some in the back we can hand to you. It's on page 749 in that particular Bible. Luke chapter 18. We're going to be starting in verse 1. This is a message on prayer today. And I was, I was thinking, you know, we just finished a series not too long ago on prayer where we really delved into every aspect of prayer. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. Uh, we were d- diving into every aspect of prayer. And so I thought, oh, here we go, coming back to prayer again. Uh, and, and I wonder if we need to. But actually, then I thought about prayer. And isn't prayer one of those things where you kind of have to circle back to it all the time? Because you forget. You forget how important it is. You need to be motivated again. Uh, I was at the dentist this week. And, um, you know, the scraping of the teeth and everything is, is painful. Um, but really the scariest part for me is that question that she always asks at the end. Have you been flossing? Right? Um, because my answer is almost always the same. Uh, trying to be truthful. No, actually, I haven't been. And then what do I get? I get the flossing lecture. And the flux, you know, I'm just cowering. And every time I get the lecture, I'm agreeing, I believe, with everything she says. I believe everything she says. Yes, I want to be that person. And for a week or two, I'm flossing like crazy. And then I don't know what happens. And then I get back and I get the same lecture. And so um, prayer uh, maybe is a little bit like that. We need the prayer lecture, right, every now and then. Because it's so easy to lose sight of prayer and to forget how important it is. But what I like about this text is that at the end of the day, we're not going to be rooted in prayer because we just need to be more disciplined. I think what we're going to see in this text is that there are some deeper, more profound reasons for praying that may have a little bit more lasting effect on us than simply trying to grit our teeth and be more disciplined. So let's be ready for that. Anyway, last week we talked about how, you know, you go through life and there's, you know, you just kind of go your daily schedule. There's something underneath all of that that is bigger that God is doing. And we often lose sight of that because the daily routine lulls us and we just sort of get dull about what God might be doing. But God's actually advancing his kingdom in the world and this is happening underneath of all the normalcy of life. He's doing something spectacular. He's been doing it for a long, long time. And, 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 and we're to tap into that. When, when I was younger and I played soccer, we had this thing. You know, I remember coaches always saying, don't be flat-footed. If you stand like I'm standing right now with your heel and your toe on the ground, you're flat-footed. If something happens, you're not properly balanced so that you can respond quickly. So you say, stand you know, on the balls of your feet so you're ready to spring in whatever direction that you need to spring. There's an element of this life, walking with Jesus, that's kind of like that. God's moving. There's something going on underneath what the normal you know, everyday schedule is. Just, and we need to be ready to spring for it when it happens, for the opportunities that come. And prayer, I believe is one of the key ways that we sort of stand on the balls of our feet and are ready to respond to what God is doing in our life. So we desperately need a talk on prayer, right? We need it all the time because prayer is hard, uh, but it's so critically important. It's absolutely key. And so what we're going to look at in this this text, in in chapter 18, is a wonderful little parable that's going to encourage us about the faithfulness of God and the proper response to that, which is to be faithful in prayer. Let's look at it together. Luke chapter 18, verse 1. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Now, we would see that as pretty bad, but uh, one of the ways that you could also translate that is he had no shame before man or before God. And so 
uh, you know, that in, in Jesus' day, there was a whole culture of, of shame and, and relationship there. And so if you're talking about a man who has absolutely no shame, it's sort of like the worst thing you, you could say about this, this judge, this man. He's got no shame. Uh, and so he's of the lowest of the low. He's sort of a despicable kind of a, a judge. Verse 3, And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. Now, there's a subtext here that we have to remember back in the Old Testament, which is how important taking care of widows and poor and the poor was to God's call on the people of Israel and then forward into the New Testament. Absolutely critical. And you can imagine in that day and age the kind of abuses that were taken uh, with widows and, and the poor and how they were mistreated. And so there's this subtext here about the proper treatment of the widow. But the widow has to call out for herself to get justice because she's not finding it in the society and the people around her. Verse 4, for, while he refu- for a while he, that is the judge, refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man. Isn't that amazing self-awareness that he has? Um, it just said that he doesn't fear God or respect man. And he says, though I ne- neither fear God nor respect man. I mean, don't you wish everybody that you talk to had that kind of self-awareness? Um, doesn't bleed over any change, though. Uh, verse 5, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down. Literally, give me a black eye. But it could be used figuratively for being beaten down um, and just sort of overwhelmed by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God, Give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, that's Jesus, will he find faith on earth? common form of argument taking place here. Uh, this parable sort of functions on this dynamic. It's from the lesser to the greater. If, the, if the, the shameless, despicable judge will answer the cry of the poor widow, how much more will the perfect, loving, justice-oriented God answer the cry of those who call out to him in need? It's an argument from lesser to greater, and it's, it's at the very heart of this parable. It unlocks the parable. Now, uh, a couple of questions that I have for us to reflect on this morning, two of them. First of all, from this parable, to whom do we pray? To whom do we pray? And then secondly, how do we pray? So to whom do we pray and how do we pray? Now, uh, granted, we're not going to answer either of these questions fully, but we're going to, through this text, look at a couple of the answers to these questions as uh, Jesus wants to, to focus in this particular parable. Okay, so first of all, to whom do we pray? We pray to a God who is faithful and responsive. That's what the parable teaches. Um, that the, the answer to prayer is because of who he is. He's faithful and responsive. He's, he's, he's not like the one judge. He's, he's the perfect God. There's the unjust judge, and he even answers people's plight. So how much more the God who is is perfect and good. It, it, it funct- it's a function of his character, ultimately. His faithfulness in answering our prayers is a function of his character. When I was in Berlin, 
um, this past weeks, I was meeting with various uh, ministers there, and, and one guy was planting a church. And Berlin is 1% Christian, okay? So we're 2% in this particular area, and, and, and that, the, in Berlin, it's 1%. So you can understand, as we were sitting here talking, he was sort of saying, you know, I'm a little panicked about this whole thing, uh, about starting a church, and in, he's in, a German guy, he said, you know, but he said, here's been my prayer. I've been trying to pray like this. God, this church bears your name, not my name. Your name is at stake here, not mine. Your character is at stake here, not mine. Therefore, for the sake of your character and for the sake of your name, would you build this church in this difficult place? See, when we pray, we pray not, 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 not based on our character, but on the character of God. Some of the teaching that I was doing when I was there was in 2 Timothy, and this verse that we had to teach through stuck with me, and I keep replaying it in my head. It's 2 Timothy 2, verse 13. It says simply this, If we are faithless, He remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. For he cannot deny himself. Too often we consider effectiveness in prayer in light of our own faithfulness rather than in light of God's faithfulness. Do you see how critical that is? This is one of the prayer killers for me. If I'm, if I'm hinging my prayers on my own faithfulness, I will stop praying. It's just a fact of life. Because I fall short of God's glory in so many ways, and I see that, and, and I just think, then there's no way God will answer my prayers. But if I'm hinging my prayers on God's faithfulness and His perfection, then it's a whole different story. On the fact that He cannot deny Himself, then it's a whole different story. The one is a prayer killer. The, one is, the other is the prayer energizer. It'd be kind of like if the widow you know, were to come and, and, and say to herself, you know, I just wish I were a good enough widow to deserve the justice that I need. Maybe if I were a double widow, God would hear me, right? But that's not what she models. It has nothing to do with any of that. It has everything to do with the judge she's approaching. God is faithful. The underlying assumption in this parable is that while the one judge is, is bad, the 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 other, the God, is good, infinitely so. That's how the parable works. If this one lesser would even do the right thing, how much more would the perfect one, God, do the right thing? And I want to just sort of lodge a thought into your brain. And I've been wrestling with this one a little bit this week. Because God is infinitely good, it stands to reason then that we've only barely tasted of the goodness of God at this point in our lives, right? We are novices in the goodness of God. Now, you may have had some experiences in your life where you said, oh, wow, God, you're so much better than I thought you were. You know, something happens or you read something in Scripture or answer to prayer or somebody shares something with you. Man, God, I didn't know you were that good. There are many more experiences like that ahead for you because of God's infinite goodness. We are all novices in understanding His goodness. And what that means is we, we are called to learn more about God and to even impose more on God. 
Not only just to learn more, but to impose more. I was reading in Ezra this week, and I wrote down in my journal, um, it stood out to me. I've seen this over and over again in Scripture. People, this is what I put in my journal, people who are bold to impose upon the grace of God often see reward. You see, it's through the people approaching Jesus with a kind of a boldness to impose upon his grace. We saw it in the, in the, 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 the parable of the, the steward a few weeks back. You see this over and over again in Scripture that people are, who are willing to impose boldly upon God and his grace often see the reward. And that's the call that's been given out to us. Is to, God says, come to me in prayer and impose upon me. Lean into my grace. Ask for the thing that seems just too great and too wonderful and too big because you've only begun to taste my goodness. You've only begun to taste my goodness. God is faithful. Now, not, not only is he faithful to whom we pray to a faithful God, but also we're praying to a responsive God. Verse 8, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. There's a debate going on about that word, speedily. What does it refer to? Does it refer to sort of the ultimate justice when Jesus returns and makes everything new again? Or does speedily refer to those moments when in the midst of the trial and the struggle, God nonetheless comes alongside of you and supports you and encourages you and makes you aware of his presence and the fact that he's with you in whatever struggle it is. And scholars sort of go back and forth, the commentaries go back and forth on this particular verse as to what it might be referring to. And, and when that happens, a lot of times it means that we're not supposed to really slice it that neatly. And probably what we want to get at here is the fact that God, um, he, he, in either way, whether his, in his coming, his, his, his imminent return, or in his sustaining in the moment, he answers prayer speedily. That's what it's getting at. The interim, do you find this to be the case? That the interim answer to prayer, in this case, justice for the widow, the, inter, the interim answer to prayer fortifies your faith in the ultimate answer to prayer. Do you find that to be the case? In fact, I find that when I pray, I ask God, would you fix this thing that's broken in my life? And it doesn't get fixed, but God then sustains me in the middle of it. The edge of desire of having the problem ultimately fixed is taken off. I'm able, to, I'm able to endure it, even though I want the full resolution. I'm being sustained in the middle of it. And I realize that actually what I want more than having all of my problems fixed is God's presence in my life. Right? That's what we hunger for in the deepest parts of our being, is God's presence in our life. And so even though you might be in the middle of difficult consequences, and God hasn't sh- taken care of it or solved it, Uh, Nonetheless, the fact that you sense God's presence in the middle of it fortifies your strength for the the ultimate hope of the resolution of it. So we pray, Lord, fix it or sustain me in it. Either one. Fix fix it or sustain me. This may go without saying, but I have a lot of problems, okay? Um, I'm a human being who struggles through life and by God's grace, some of those problems have been solved, and God has entered, and he's fixed it. But there's a whole bunch of them that haven't been solved. 
And some of them go on for years, right? Things that are just broken in your life, whether it be your character or whether it be something in a relationship or something that you wish would happen or whatever it is, they're just broken and it goes on and on and on. And what God is teaching me more and more as I walk this journey of faith is that in those moments, um, it's, it's my call to lean into him and to trust him to, to ask him to fix it or if he's not going to fix it right now, to sustain me in the middle of it. And what I see over and over again is that when I experience his sustaining touch in my life, even though I wanted it fixed, suddenly the longing and the desire of having the problem go away completely is reduced dramatically. Because I know at least, even if I have to continue to endure this, God is with me, right? God is with me. And that's my deepest longing anyway. That's what heaven is ultimately, right? is being in the presence of God. And so knowing that God is with us is the greatest answer to prayer. So he will respond in one way or the other. He'll respond in one way or the other. Um, So we pray to a God who's both faithful and he's responsive. That's who he is. And our, our call to prayer is based in large part on that, not how well you've done at being a good Christian this week. And so if you continually ask yourself, okay, am I a good enough Christian to go to the Lord in prayer, your prayer life will be anemic. It will suffer greatly. But if you turn your thought away from yourself onto the character of God, your prayer life will receive new strength and motivation. That's what the parable is teaching us. Prayer is based on the character of God, not on yours. So then, how do we pray? if that's the case. Verse 1 and verse 8 of this parable help us to understand what our role in this process is. He told them a parable to the effect, this is verse 1, that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. And then verse 8, I tell you he will give justice to them speedily. And then this part, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? So the first thing that, that we're to do in this process is to continue to pray. To pray always, it says. Um, it says, actually, to pray without growing weary or tired in prayer. Right? Somebody knew about prayer who wrote that, who said that. Because it's hard to pray sometimes. And you grow weary, you grow tired in the midst of prayer. And, 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 and yet there's this call, this is, it's this motivation for us to continue through the tiredness um, and, and to keep praying. Now what, what kills prayer according to this text? What kills prayer? Is it, is it lack of discipline? Like flossing, you know? Is that what kills prayer? Is it all? I don't think so. I think there's something deeper underneath this that, in, that compels us to pray that's Discipline is important, but that's greater than discipline. It's greater than discipline. And maybe discipline has a, has a role. In fact, I'm sure it does. But according to Jesus, the key thing in this parable that gets us to pray is to connect with our plight, our struggle, and then to connect with the character of God. And it's the bringing together of those two that, that compels us into prayer. That's what the widow manifests. She, is, she understands completely 
what it is that she's struggling with. She's had suffered some injustice, and so she comes and she's, she's uh, wailing and, and calling to this judge. There's a story uh, that happened, I guess it was in the 1800s, where somebody was visiting someplace in the Middle East, and they saw the same thing happen, and this woman's calling out for justice to the judge. I guess they sit sort of uh, in this particular area, and this woman is there, and there's lots of commotion, and over the top, you can hear this voice of this woman, and she says to them, I will come back every day until I receive an answer, this woman says, because she, she knows that that's where she's going to find the help. And so she comes, she's praying always, every day, coming to this judge, um, asking for, for help. She's totally connected with her brokenness. I remember when, um, you, some of you will remember this, when our former district superintendent came and preached, um, Gil Stiglitz, he said this amazing thing that has stuck with me, and I, and I tried to, 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 to use this when, my, when I'm dry spiritually. He said, if I can't list 21 ways in which I desperately need God, then I'm in trouble. If I can't list right now on a piece of paper, however many ways, 20 different ways in which I desperately need God, then I know I'm in trouble. Because I'm living in my own strength. And so, I put that out to us. Can you list 20 ways, 21 ways, in which you desperately need God? See, that's what it means to to connect with your plight. You know, we're all the widow. We're all the widow. All of us. We have a desperate need for God. And the thing about it is that I think American culture is genius at diminishing, minimizing, obfuscating the human need that lies within all of us. Is there some, you know, sin that we struggle with or a character flaw or a relationship that's broken or our kids or a fear of the future or we're in trouble somehow uh, or we need direction? Um, Let me just mention this, that more time on Facebook is not going to solve it, right? In case you were wondering. And I'm, I'm this too. I come home tired at night. You know, Facebook is so easy to get on, right? Uh, but, but, but we have this, but, but what I'm doing so often is I'm distracting myself from, from what's really going on. And we have multiple tools for this in American culture. One of the things I sensed deeply when I was in Africa, I thought, oh my goodness, I waste so much of my life on things that are totally unimportant. Things that I've gone without for, for multiple days and not missed, really. And we have this way of sort of, of, sort of diminishing what's most important and, 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 and just sort of um, distracting with the things that are less important. And that's a killer for prayer because to pray, this text says, you need to be in touch with your deepest hurts, brokennesses, and longings, and sins, and struggles, and relationship issues. You need to be in touch with those things, because it's out of those that you will be compelled to go to God. That's where your motivation comes from. So we need to stop distracting each other. Less time on Facebook, maybe, would be good, and more time in the prayer closet would help us to become the prayers that we're called to become. So, so we need more. we need more of the the, the need within us. But we also need uh, a deeper understanding of the character of God. We're to pray with faith, this text says. The very last line, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith 
on earth. I want to make a little distinction between um, what we often do, um, grumbling to God versus praying to God. Now, I want to be careful how I say this because I would rather you grumble to God than not talk to God at all. Um, But there is something about grumbling, and you go back in the Old Testament and you see this. Um, Grumbling is spiritual. Is, is talking to God absent any sort of hope or expectation that he will move, he will do anything. And we fall into this pattern, sometimes for strange reasons, sometimes because we, don't want, we think we want changes, but we sort of have become accustomed to the way things are. And so, and, or maybe we just like to grumble, and so we grumble to God. And, and it's not the prayer of faith that's being talked about in this text. The difference is when we pray for faith, when we pray with faith, is that we have this sort of expectation that God will act in one way or another. He'll fix it or he'll sustain us in it. We have this expectation, this hope that God will act. And that's what we're being called to, is to to pray with faith in this text. Now, what increases your faith? Well, let's look at the widow. What is it about the widow? I think the key thing about the widow here is that she just acknowledges she has nowhere else to go but to this judge. The only one, who can, only one who can bring justice is this judge, and she'll keep going. She'll keep coming to this judge until she finds justice. She's not going to be distracted and go somewhere else and find somebody else to try and take care of the problem because only this judge can do it. And we're just like this, right? Um, the same is, is true for us. We think, because we live in America and we have so many distractions, that our problems can be solved with other things. But at the end of the day, the only one who can take care of our needs is the God who made us and then died on the cross for us and then rose again to demonstrate his power and that he's living and that he's acting, he's moving. And and yes, underneath the normalcy of this world, there is something spectacular going on. That's the one who can take care of our problems. That's the one who can answer our prayers. That's the one to whom we go with the needs that we have. And, 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 And just that little word, that little understanding that God can, that's faith. God can. Only God can. That's the little word, can, that gives birth to faith in us. And faith, this parable tells us, is what aids prayer. In fact, Jesus said, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. If you believe, that's an amazing statement. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. And so, then the question becomes, how do you get faith, right? Well, and this is a huge topic that we can't address fully. But yesterday morning, I was cycling with some guys, and one of them said, you know, how do you get faith? How do you get faith? I would like to believe, and I I can't. How do you get faith? And if you've known me for a long, you've probably heard this story before, but I told the story of my little daughter, who, when we were living in Hershey, Pennsylvania, the Susquehanna River goes through there, and there was a bridge that crosses the river. And it was one of those bridges that was made out of a metal grate. And so you could see the rushing river right below it. And so my little daughter is, I don't know how old, tiny, just barely walking. And she comes, we all walk into the bridge, just cruise on, and she just stops dead right at the bridge. And she looks down, she sees the rushing water down there, and she won't budge. And so we grab her hand, and we say, okay, it's going to be okay. I'm stepping out on the bridge, you know, showing her how solid the metal grating is. Um, And finally, she takes a tentative step, you know, and you could just see her sort of trembling as she looks down and sees the water rushing below. And then she takes another step, and another step, and another step. And 15 minutes later, 
she's running up and down this bridge, jumping, stamping on it, you know, just fully trusting this bridge. But there's that process, right? Where you have to step out a little bit first and develop a sense of trust. And, and, and I think it's a wonderful metaphor for how our relationship of faith with Jesus Christ works. You step out a little bit and trust this man who is willing to live and die and be raised again for you. You trust him with your life. And as you begin to trust him more and more, you become more and more confident and have more and more faith in his ability to sustain you, to lead you, guide you, to, to have your best interest in mind. And so faith is, is a kind of a step-by-step thing. And so wherever you are this morning in that journey, what you're being called to is to take that next step, that next trusting step of leaning into Christ a little bit more than you currently are with the life that you've been given, that you might see and find that, in fact, God is trustworthy. And so that's what I want to end with this morning, just to invite you to step out onto the prayer bridge this time to the prayer bridge, to make a list of 21 ways in which you desperately need God to work in your life and in the lives of the people around you. And make another list or put on that same list a bunch of ways in which we desperately need God to work in this church because we're not walking this journey alone. We're a community. How do we desperately need God to work in this community in order for us to be what He's called us to be? And then to take that list and ask yourself, where am I going to go with it? What are my options? And you will conclude, there is only one judge to whom I can bring these requests and to focus your attention on him and to bring him daily with the kind of persistence that the widow had and to see God move, to fix things, to sustain you, to have his way in your life. And just let's remember that this is the one who has demonstrated his faithfulness to us in a very tangible way on the cross. As he was on that cross dying for the sins of the world, he was making the greatest statement that ever could be made about you and your value and and your worth and his concern and love and care for you. So will he be faithful? Think of the cross. Well, he was willing to give it all up on the cross for you. I think think he might be trustworthy. Right? Well, does he have the power to intervene and to do anything? Well, he rose from the dead. I think he might have it. Okay? Lord, help us to lean into you in prayer. To bring everything to you that needs to come to you. Make our lists long and make our focus on you very precise. That we would look only to you to satisfy the longings and the needs of our lives and the people around us. And that as we do so and we step out on the bridge of prayer and and have some faith and, and we see your trustworthiness, that we might grow and grow and grow in confidence and faith and thereby bring you glory and honor. We know you call us to this for ourselves, for this community, because you have a reason for us to be here. 
It's more than just the daily routine. And we will find, we will discover that reason as we tap into it through prayer. And so guide us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We're going to celebrate communion now as we always do. And I just want to remind you that this table is open to all.